KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. The COVID-19 pandemic has presented all kinds of challenges for students at all levels, but particularly for students with special educational needs. We wanted to learn more about the challenges they are facing in the midst of this pandemic and what parents need to know. So we reached out to Margie Wakeland. She is a staff attorney for the Educational Law Center of Pennsylvania. Very important conversation. Give a listen. So let's start when we talk about children with special educational needs we're talking about a wide swath of kids aren't we and it might be bigger than than most people think yeah there's really two key ways that students with disabilities can receive services in schools that's either through what most people know of as um, special education which is an IEP and those those disabilities really can range from something just like a a speech impairment that impacts the way that they speak or communicate really to something much more widespread in terms of multiple disabilities related to an intellectual disability. And in between, we have students with learning disabilities like dyslexia or dysgraphia. We also have students with emotional disabilities, maybe school anxiety or uh, depression. Um, There's a real range and it's those students who need specialized instruction in order because of their disability. And specialized instruction can be in just a typical class or it can require something as significant as a specialized school. So that's one way. The other is a 504 plan. And those are for kids who have really chronic physical or mental conditions, but that don't require require specialized instruction. So you might have a student who has diabetes who qualifies under a 504 plan. So there's a real there's a real range there. So we we really don't want to speak too much in generalities when we're talking about special education and the law really want really says that school districts need to consider them as individualized students and what their needs are. So from what you've seen people you talk to we had 2-3 months of basically all virtual schooling in the spring. And it was two, three months that everyone had to throw together almost in real time. But what were the concerns that came out of that as far as the needs of kids with special educational needs being met? Yeah, so throughout the COVID-19 through the school closures that happened in the spring at the Education Law Center, we consistently heard from families, communities, students who were really impacted, not just based on being a student with a disability, but really intersectionally. So if students who had disabilities, but who also were Um, living in families living in poverty or um, students of color or English learners, those really compounded, we saw, in terms of their inability to access because of the school not providing the services that they needed in order to access learning. So we 
have always been, or at least in, in recent years at Education Law Center, been looking at how students are not getting what they need based on those intersections of identities. But this in COVID-19 has really exposed how those disparities run very deeply within our education system and how school districts really need to be approaching students um, and their needs really individually, but also in thinking about what do they need in order to access. So access isn't just about, you know, we've heard a lot about the digital divide. So not having computers, not having internet. That is a big piece, especially when we're talking about remote. But for students with disabilities, access is also, even if they have the computer, do they have maybe the technology to access it? Do they have the ability to attend in terms of um, based on their disability to a screen in order to learn? And a lot of the answers to that were no. And school districts during that school closure period weren't providing alternatives to families. So there were many families that we know of that the school was aware they weren't able to access because of the student's disability or or because of some of the other issues. And they weren't providing alternative ways for those students to learn. So we have just really significant student populations, numbers of students in, in the population that weren't accessing learning at all. And for a student with a disability, and for other students, but, you know, particularly students with disabilities, it wasn't just that they're not making progress, it's that they were regressing in skills. So you may have children, like a child with autism, who part of autism is a communication disorder. So the instruction that many of them receive in school is really about, you know, highly structured about how they even learn what the purpose of communication is, how to communicate. And we saw students who lost that, lost that, even that initial ability to communicate in that period of time. And so that was really, you know, devastating to families and and certainly to students. And I know that we're going to have long-term consequences for our state. I feel this is an incredibly difficult challenge because I know a lot of people in education and I know a lot of people have worked really hard to try to juggle all these things, getting mixed messages depending on where they live and stuff like that. How big a challenge is this, not just from a logistic standpoint, but a lot of these districts are also facing incredible cutbacks to their budgets. And I would imagine this is going to hit here hard. I mean, how concerned are you you big picture about this given that? Yeah, I mean, we, a priority area for the Education Law Center is ensuring adequate and equitable school funding. And we know that the economic crisis that has accompanied COVID-19 has led to less revenue being available for schools in Pennsylvania. And the schools in the spring, we did a lot of work in in coalition across the state looking at school districts. And there were school districts that were doing really promising things. And we were lifting up what they were doing. And those were really in those districts that have more adequate resources in terms of finances than our low wealth school districts. And so in addition to, to identity of, you know, students who are living in poverty or students of color or English learners, like students with disabilities who are in districts that don't have those financial resources in those low wealth districts, those really were, um, they didn't have the resources 
that they needed in order to provide those alternatives that I was saying was necessary. And those are the same districts that we're seeing now are, are saying that they are not providing those individualized educational opportunities for students with disabilities during this next phase. And so we're seeing some districts that are proposing that um, alternatives for students with disabilities where they may be coming back, certain disabilities, certain students um, based on their needs may be coming back for in-person instruction because we know, one thing we do know is that the lack of in-person instruction really led to significant losses for students. Um, we have, there are studies that were saying that and the Pennsylvania Department of Ed, PDE, published some of those studies in their effort to provide information to districts about how they should be reopening. So those districts where they are providing those in-person learning opportunities are those districts that, that have more resources. And um, so I think that this is going to be a big concern. We have been advocating for more funding to be coming from the federal government and that the funding that does come, we really want to make sure within our state that we're distributing it based on using an evidence-based method that considers things like levels of poverty, considers you know, amount of students who are English learners or high levels of students experiencing homelessness. Because we know that, that those students were the ones who did not those access issues were the most difficult for school districts to solve and that require a lot of financial resources. So with a look ahead to the fall, does it seem like there are more districts, schools that are, and you talk, we, you know, past the funding, but that have kind of gotten their arms around what needs to be done? And are there a lot of places where they know what needs to be done, but they just don't have the money to do it? I don't, I mean, I know that many districts are making those plans. I'm not sure specifically, like if there are districts that are saying we know what to do and we don't have the funding for it. I know that there are a lot of laws, the civil rights laws, the laws that are in place for students with disabilities. Those give a path for how the law says things are supposed to be done. But we're in this time of COVID-19 which is we know that there were many mistakes that were made in the spring because people didn't know what was happening with the school closures. And we were going to be making up for that within our schools for all students and, you know, most acutely for students with disabilities. But moving forward, we know things that didn't work. And I think that a lot of districts are going to be moving forward and making plans to comply with the law But then there's the COVID-19 health and safety requirements. I've been in exchange with other attorneys that are saying, what are we supposed to do for students who, because of their disability, won't keep masks on their face, but those masks are necessary for them to be safe in school. So it's not safe for them to be in school. So they're going to be in remote virtual instruction. These are terrible decisions for families to have to be making. And schools are also making these same decisions about what can we make safe, but it's a projection. You know, we're not sure about what is going to be necessary for safety. So I think for a lot of districts, they're making their best plans, but I know we're going to be revisiting those uh, as the year goes on. And I think, I think really, from a special education perspective, we need to be revisiting those because there could be a plan that's in place. You know, I think we can conceive of a way 
that remote learning could be made appropriate for students with disabilities if there is an individualized approach that they're looking at. What is it, you know, like you said at the beginning, there's a wide array of students with disabilities and what's appropriate for a student with a speech-only impairment is very different from what's appropriate for a student with um, maybe with an intellectual disability. But um, there are ways that, and the law gives us the path for how we're supposed to plan for both of those. But if that plan is not working and the children are still, they're not making progress or they're regressing, we need to come back to the virtual table to plan again for them. And that's really what the law requires. And so that's on like the micro level of an individual student, but schools also, and PDE is really recommending this. You make your plans. If they're not working, you need to be prepared to come back to the table. And that really, you know, that sort of perspective, I think every school district needs to be embracing. If a parent is in this situation, is listening to this conversation, what are some of the questions they should be asking of their school, of their district to make sure that their kids' needs are being met? Yeah, that's a great question. I talk to parents all the time today, for example, and and say, you know, do you know what the what the individualized plan. So many families know what their school's plan is for the return to school, whether it be hybrid, whether it be virtual, are they going to school from 8.30 to 3? But what I'm making sure that students with disabilities, the families know is that they also should have an individualized plan. They should know what are the differences? What are, what are the specialized services that their child is going to be receiving? So if they don't know what those are right now, they should reach out to the school and ask for a meeting to discuss those. And that's typically done through the individualized education program, which is the IEP. But there are other ways that districts have been looking at providing those individualized plans. So they should know. And if they don't reach out to the school, and a lot of those plans are being developed now because schools, teachers are coming back from school vacation. And because of contracts, it may be that teachers weren't able to work over the summer. So those plans are getting developed, but parents should be a part of that. And although we know that there were many problems in the spring and many issues with access, many families learned, like they learned this worked for my child and this didn't. And so parents really need to be communicating that and school districts need to be giving them that opportunity to communicate what worked and what didn't. And a lot of, you know, if there are new issues that came up, I've, I've talked to a lot of families that their child with a disability may have already had behavior issues that there were plans in place to address, but those behavior issues weren't contemplating that the child would be virtual. And there were even more like tantrums that would come up for a third grader. And if, if that's the case, parents should be asking the school, how, how can we try and minimize this? How can we address these new behaviors that have come up? How can we address these new problems? So, I, you know, I really think that that is what parents should be asking. And then, you know, if, if there were losses, if there were losses that happened in the spring, and I think that that's the case for many students, if not all um, students with disabilities, that families should be asking, how, could, how are we going to make up for that? And the state has something called COVID-19 compensatory services that they're advising school districts should develop. 
that's one way um, that schools can address, they can provide compensatory makeup education services for students with disabilities. There are other ways um, that schools, they don't need to follow that same, the recommendation from the state, but something needs to be done to help those students make up. And because schools may not provide everything that students need during this next phase, there may be more that needs to be made up in the future. And, you know, I'm always of the mind that we want to try and prevent those losses of skills, prevent the regression. So that's why I say, first and foremost, make sure that your child is getting what they need now. But that may not be possible and that may not happen. And because of some of the health related issues for COVID. So families should be figuring out also how will the district make up for these losses. Is there a precedent for this situation we're in from this standpoint where you, you've kind of got the threads of an educational crisis, a financial crisis, and a health crisis all coming together? And what I mean by that, is there anything in the past that people look to for a playbook and say, well, we had X, Y, and Z, and we were able to adjust accordingly? Are we really in completely new ground here? I think we are in new ground. I mean, we had, we've had economic crises in the past, um, and we've had op- times when the federal government needed to step in to provide assistance to states, and we saw some really great leadership at those times. But that's coupled with the fact that students weren't even able to attend school for a significant period of time, and now in many districts are still continuing not to attend school. I mean, I've said probably 600 times, this is an unprecedented time, and it is. It doesn't mean that we throw out everything that we've learned, though. And I think that's, I mean, we just we can't just throw our hands up and say, um, this is an unprecedented time, because we have, we do have a lot of, like I said, the law provides a path for students with disabilities and how things need to go forward. And many of the systems that are in place under the law, for example, the IEP for students with disabilities, that's, that's, a, that's a system that can exist when students are remote. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, public education is somewhat of a modern concept. So, you know, back when the, there was the flu in the 1918 that we've heard so much, like we weren't, we didn't have public education in the, in the way that we do now. So, you know, I think that there is, we are in an unprecedented, I mean, I, I, it's not just, I think, I know we're in an unprecedented time. I'm just hoping that we can learn from the missteps from the spring and in this next school year, really be applying what we know, which is, you know, students, when they were remote, they needed what's called synchronous learning. So that's like live interaction with the teacher. That's what we what we found actually led to more students making progress. Um, a lot of districts were using asynchronous, so where the teacher recorded something ahead of time. And we know that high wealth districts were using more synchronous learning and low wealth districts were using more asynchronous. And that led to exacerbating what were already the issues with access and learning that led to students not making progress. So, um, you know, that's an easy thing. And I know that the, I mean, not an easy thing. I'm not saying any of this is easy, really. But that's something that we know we should really be pushing for more is more time with teachers. And I've heard a lot of districts really embrace that and say, you know, we can do this. So there are other things like that where we can say, 
you know, we, we are dynamic. We learn from the past and let's, you know, we don't have this exact situation in our history, but we do have situations that we can model from that had pieces of this. And final question, looking at this glass half full, could we come out of all these challenges stronger on the other side? Districts learn a lot about what works and things they can utilize and maybe kind of get, for lack of a better term, kind of slapped in the face with inequities that maybe they weren't fully aware of, things like this. Because if there's one thing this pandemic has done, it has ripped the Band-Aid off everything to show you just how inequitable or whatever it is. Uh, Are you hopeful we'll come out better on the other side whenever that other side is? Yeah. So, I mean, Education Law Center has been around since the 70s. I've been an education lawyer for 12 years. I wouldn't have my job if there weren't some really severe inequities already that had existed um, and historically underserved students, students of color, students with disabilities, English learners, students experiencing homelessness, students in foster care, in juvenile justice systems. They were not receiving what they needed largely by the school system. So many people are hoping, and I think we're going to have to see a really sh- a shift in leadership. Many people, including me and the Education Law Center, that we can take some of the innovation that's happening now, and there are some really innovative things that are happening, to try and transform our system because it wasn't working for a lot of kids previously. And, you know, we need to make some really significant changes. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's going to be, you know, hybrid learning. I know some districts have thought about that, but whether that's going to be something that we hold on to in the future. But, you know, definitely we are in a different time here in 2020. And when we emerge from COVID-19, we're going to have a lot of data to pull from about how innovation can help. I think we'll also have more data about where where school districts really need to be targeting those resources to ensure that all students can can benefit from this innovation. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.